Yeah, I think what's the Lord has just really impressed upon me and I'm just so grateful for is particularly working with oppressive marriages. It's really easy and tempting to say, I'm not that bad. Like, I'm not that entitled. I'm not that cruel. I don't manipulate, right? Um, and the Lord just be like, not so fast, <laughs> right? You're, you're, more, you're more like that than me. I'm Rush Witt, and you're listening to Straight to the Heart, a podcast from New Growth Press. Each episode includes interesting talks with leading authors and thinkers. We hear who they are, what they think, how they approach their important work in ministry, and the moments and influences that changed their lives. Today, I hung out with Darby Strickland to learn more about her family and ministry in trauma and abuse care. Darby is a wife and mother, as well as a faculty member and counselor at CCEF, the Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation. She's a contributor to Becoming a Church That Cares Well for the Abused and is author of Is It Abuse? Her newest book is Something Scary Happened, which helps children process their feelings after experiencing trauma. I asked Darby a bunch of questions about the challenges of abuse counseling and how God has grown her through it all. This is Straight to the Heart. Yeah, no, it's it's a good day. The sun is shining. I was driving into work and the birds were chirping and it was just sweet to be out in, I love this time of year. Just creation is beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, it was, I woke up this morning where I live in Ohio and it was 56 degrees. That's cool so for summer. It's pretty, yeah. it's pretty cool. It's, I mean, it's been really hot lately. So I've been, uh, I've been happy, um, happy about that. So I'm curious also kind of what's been going on in life, things that are really going well that uh, are making you happy. And No, that's a great question. I just came back from Wyoming, actually, and I did a trauma conference out there for the Refuge Ministries, which um, deals with women in domestic abuse. Mm. And I got to co-teach with Rachel Dunhollander, which was just such a sweet time um, and being able to interact with victims in a small, intimate setting. Um, it was, I just felt really blessed by them sharing their stories. So what does that kind of, uh, time look like? What's the structure of the time that you spend with people who are there? Yeah, I really love the way they set up this conference on Friday night, Rachel and I sat down and had dinner with their small group that they normally have at their refuge. So it just gave that personal touch, which you don't normally get at a larger conference mm-hmm. or speaking situation. And really just got to hear from the women's hearts. And then because they are so out in Wyoming and so remote, when they had mm. us there, they had us work really hard. So we delivered about eight hours of content. So that's not typical, wow. but it was a pretty intense day. And just sharing, we we're talking about what is trauma? How does it impact you, your body um, and your mind and your children? And it was, it was just, I felt like when we left, the church got a lot of feedback saying, this church loves victims. And so that was oh, just sweet to hear. That is really sweet. As you have those experiences at conferences, especially in different places, do you find that there is a real lack of resources for people who have been through abuse or going through other hard things? And do you find that there are certain parts of the country where it's even less? And why do you, why do you think that that is? Yeah, that's a good question. I think... Tr- Trauma and abuse are just, we just don't understand them. Mm. If you haven't been through it 
I just don't, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, it's really hard to understand the amount, the impact that it has on somebody. And so I think we all have a lot of um, misunderstandings Mm. about how someone is dealing with extreme suffering. And yeah, I don't know that it's regional per se. I know that the church, we have such a great hope, right? And we Mm -hmm. have such great promises from scripture. Mm -hmm. We often struggle to let victims be in that season of lament for a longer period of time Mm -hmm. because we want to see them whole and reclaiming those promises. So we often get ahead of um, sufferers. Mm -hmm. That reminds me in the earlier days of my... Uh, training and becoming a biblical counselor, I said, I heard, and I also said some things like, uh, you don't have to go through what someone else is going through to understand them because I have a Bible. And while I think there absolutely is a certain truth to that, the Bible speaks to all of our experiences and it gives us the ultimate truth. Uh, I feel like I've kind of, I had kind of pushed that pendulum a little too far and minimized what you were just saying, which is the value of being able to, or have, having experience what someone else is going through. No, that's a great point. I've, I have to remind myself often mm. that Psalms were not written in a day, mm. right? Because as we read things in scripture, we hear someone questioning, crying out to the Lord and like 20 verses later, it's resolved. Their hope is restored. And we have to remember that's probably months, maybe years of someone's wrestling before it's formed in that poetry. And so even as I think as we read the canon, because we value it so much, we don't immerse ourselves in what would that actually have been like to write that and to live that out at at a human pace. Wow. I've never thought about it in those terms before. That's actually really profound. And um helpful to me. So I, I appreciate that. Yeah. Psalms were not written in a day. And, uh, yeah, that's one of the challenges I, you know, I really feel like you said, uh, just, uh, growing to enter, uh, the world of other people and to understand their needs so that I can bring them Christ in their answers is, you know, ongoing challenge for me, like it is, like it is for everybody. Yeah. And, and I um, see that with my kids, right? Like when my kids are sad, I'm just wanting to swoop in and make it better. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's like, I, it's not okay that they're sad, but it actually really is. Yeah. 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 Well, I wonder how do you, because um, you, you do a lot of ministry with parents of kids who are going through difficult things. How do you coach parents to talk with their kids about traumatic experiences and other hardships and difficulties that they're facing? Yeah. I, I think just like as I and you would study the people that we're caring for, like we want to be a student of them. I just really encourage parents to kind of slow down and like, what is your child trying to tell you either through their behavior or their words or their withdrawing? You really have to learn about how your child's, um, the way they're going through their suffering. Again, we often as parents want to swoop in, fix things. um, And instead I, I want parents to draw their children out and give them permission to feel all the feels, which is uncomfortable. Um, And so yeah, that just takes a different pace, particularly because when children are struggling, the, the chances are the parents hurting over a similar thing. Hmm. Yeah, it seems that with a lot of good work like that you've done and Chris Moles and, and others that uh, we're becoming even more acquainted with 
difficult, traumatic experiences that impact us. And so even for, um, you know, most people probably the word uh, traumatic is kind of general and and difficult to pin down what exactly that means. And so I, I think it could be helpful for somebody with so much experience as you. What are some of the common traumas that you are help people with? Yeah, with me in particular, I focus on abuse. Mm-hmm. So particularly like domestic violence or um, overcoming childhood sexual abuse. Those would be more of what I would call relational traumas when somebody was in a position of trust and they either violated you physically or were so cruel to you emotionally um, that they wanted to, manip- you know, gain something. I would say devour you for their own gain. Mm. Um, yeah. And so I tend to deal with a lot of relationally based traumas, but there are traumas, you know, taking care of people who have been victims of crimes or house mm. fires or weather events. So really the, the type of trauma is going to have a different response and the person to person, similar traumas can have different responses. So it's a really difficult thing. I think we, we really don't understand why some people have are more impacted and other people are less impacted by particular events. Hmm. You know, I think it's obvious that, that trouble and hardships that we face often uh, make us aware of our weaknesses. Hmm. And when you're in a ministry, a channel of ministry that has you so often in contact with hardship and trouble. Uh, I wonder how that has um, made you aware of your own weaknesses. I find that as I do counseling, I, I find that the walking with people doesn't help me just understand them, but it helps me to understand myself and maybe places that I need to grow. We, we start talking about something from scripture that bears upon their life. And then I realize, well, that really bears on my life. Like I should, I need to do that, yeah. you know, uh, or, um, uh, move in that direction. What's that been like for you? Because you have so much opportunity to be, uh, ministering uh, so much opportunity to minister to people in hardship. Yeah. I think what's, the Lord has just really impressed upon me and I'm just so grateful for It's particularly working with oppressive marriages. It's really easy and tempting to say, I'm not that bad. Mm. Like I'm not that entitled. I'm not that cruel. I don't manipulate. Right. Mm. Um, and the Lord just be like, not so fast. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. You're, you're more, you're more like that than me. And so I've just been really convicted. Yeah. When I encounter things, and particularly with oppressors, they're so blind to what they're doing is wrong. Mm. It almost has scared me as a person. I often come home to my husband and be like, what am I missing about myself? Mm. You know, help me understand, or even to my children. Children are honest, right? So Mm -hmm. we can ask them about our blind spots. So I've just been really convicted. Yeah, I want to live a life of repentance. And when I see reflections of things, I need to be asking, how am I more like that than not? And then, um, and being comfortable being needy, I think is the other thing, right? Mm. Abuse ministry is so overwhelming, right? I can't fix it. I'm highly dependent upon the Lord. This is overwhelming. Um, I can't bear these stories on my own. Um, and so I've just decided I just have to be okay with Mm. being afraid and being needy. And I think those two things have helped me persevere, um, 
in in recognizing, yeah, I'm I'm not just needy for my sin, but mm-hmm. I'm 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 needy to find my joy. I'm needy in where I'm competent because it's really not what I'm doing. It's what the Lord has chosen to do. Receiving the counsel of God's word is essential to every Christian life. And so I want you to know about the Life Counsel Bible, practical wisdom for all of life. In the midst of challenging seasons of life, there is hope. The CSB Life Counsel Bible, developed in partnership with New Growth Press, is designed to equip readers with biblical truth and counsel on a wide range of topics and tough life issues related to relationships, marriage, parenting, and more. This Bible is full of useful tools and resources for life application and discipleship grounded in the truth of the gospel of grace. It contains more than 150 full-length articles from respected Christian counselors and scholars, such as David Pallison, Ed Welch, Paul Tripp, Elise Fitzpatrick, Bob Kellerman, Diane Langberg, and many more. It also includes over 100 word studies focusing on key words from the Bible, which are applicable to personal healing, growth, and counsel. To learn more about the Life Counsel Bible, practical wisdom for all of life, visit newgrowthpress.com. Darby, that must be something that God really wants me to know because I have had so many conversations in probably the last two weeks where that exact, almost exact phrasing has been used. And every time it's used, it sort of sticks on me of being comfortable, learning to be comfortable being uncomfortable. Yes. Yeah. And I've heard that in probably three or four different contexts. And so I think that's something I must need to grow, <laughs> grow in because it keeps coming up okay. and now, now you've said it. And, um, but that's, what's so great about our God, right? When he wants yeah. something, he just keeps, yeah, pursuing us. It's, yeah. yeah. He needs yeah. to, he, yeah, he keeps telling me he over and over again. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm surrounded. Yep. yep. You've got me surrounded. So, um, yeah, I wonder with that, you know, I want to learn, I want to grow to be comfortable being uncomfortable in the right kind of ways and in in your life and experience how has that become more uh natural to you what uh, has I think what, that, how have you grown in that right i think it's by necessity right so here i am a homeschooling mom i work in counsel at ccf one day a week and i'm now have all these women that i'm caring for that are oppressed And the Lord just starts opening door after door after door that I'm not equipped for. I'm not a writer. Mm. I used to totally shake when I spoke publicly. Like everything he has asked me to do was fear and trembling. And my husband kept saying, the door is open. You need to go do this. And I'm like, I can't. Right. So (laughs) I, I think I'm just was very aware. I didn't train or prepare to do what I'm doing. Um, And so I'm very, I'm very needy all the time. Yeah, I need uh, I need to grow in. It's interesting to me that you just uh, mentioned how speaking and writing and other aspects of ministry don't feel like they come naturally to you, and um, and and yet you're doing them, and the Lord has really blessed you with uh, a multi dimensional ministry um, life, 
And I think that's a really beautiful thing. And I think it's a really encouraging thing for people to see because the average person, if they have an aspiration to serve other people in a particular way, they may look at others doing it and say, oh, I'm not, I'm not really like that person. I can't get up there and speak publicly or I can't write books or I'm really scared to do this or that. I'm not that kind of person. But the interesting thing is by what you've described and the way I see my own life, you're not that kind of person either. Mm -mm, (laughs) And I'm not that quote kind of person. So it Mm -hmm. means we're looking at it the wrong way. Yeah. I think what I've come to understand is God has put particular people on my heart and Mm -hmm. I had no choice but to help them and to represent them and to learn how scripture speaks to them and go to their churches for them. And so I think of it as it's, I'm very hyper local. Like everything that I'm doing is because someone in particular had a particular need that the Lord just said, this is what I've given you to steward. And yeah. So there's not much of a choice Yeah. at that point. Yeah. Yeah. You understand that re- you're recruited and then it becomes something beautiful that you're doing and you, you enjoy it more than you fear it. Hmm. That's exactly the way it seems like it happens uh, for so for so many people. For me, I, I really resonate with that. That it's usually I'm sort of in need of uh, answering some kind of call. I don't necessarily mm-hmm. feel like I have what it takes, and uh, and maybe I don't. But it's not you know. It's ultimately the Lord's going to uh, work through that, and uh, and then and then we we grow in the process. That's that is a a really amazing reality of the Christian life and ministry and. You know, people who might not be involved in counseling and ministry as you are struggle to see the difficult realities of abuse ministry. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, what do you think is a common misconception that onlookers have, which you think would really help all of us to care for people more effectively if we could understand this misconception better? Yeah, I think one of the things that people who walk alongside abusive marriages in particular think they think a victim has choices that she does that are not mm-hmm. easy for her mm-hmm. um so they don't understand either why she just doesn't leave right which or why she just doesn't didn't get help sooner or why she isn't speaking out more they look at her responses to being oppressed and they judge her responses because they don't understand addressing abuse actually makes things worse for her and her children. Um, Coming forward makes things more difficult, right? Mm -hmm. Addressing someone confronting the oppressive husband makes him more upset typically. Um, And so I think we fail to understand any choice that they have is pain. And they really need to pick how they're going to walk that out faithfully before the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, or like they don't understand, they think, oh, she's just not loving her husband enough. She needs, needs to be more patient. They don't understand how much, how many marriage books she read, how many prayers, how much she herself wants to see her husband redeemed and changed. She doesn't, I think another misconception is she wants to flee and get a divorce where most abused women want nothing more for their husband to see the harm and to stop so that their family can stay intact. Mm. So I think as onlookers, we 
we can't imagine how awful it is and we can't imagine what they're going to have to go through. So we oversimplify, kind of judge their reactions or mm-hmm. their choices because we think I would make those choices, but we're not enslaved, right? We're free. We have choices yeah. where we're not going to be punished or have to face more consequences of someone's wrath and anger. So I think that's that's a really delicate part of trying to understand what's going on. That if you're, you know, if you're 20 feet away from someone, you're never going to truly understand what it's like for them. It seems a key theme in what you just said are the words, if she just, or mm-hmm. if he just, and that's a real a sim- simplistic view of someone's situation. If we were to put those words on it, if you would just like, this is an easy thing to do. Why don't you just do what you're supposed to do or right. just make this decision? And um, yeah, that's, that's really, uh, that that's not. To your point, that's that's not what it means to enter into another person's world. That's to yeah. kind of look from the outside, but not to enter in and really understand the need of the moment and the nuances. And again, I mean, that's really a reminder to me that depending on the Lord as the one who is in control is essential because if I do enter this person's world, I'm, I'm likely to find a complicated situation and I just can't strategize our way out of it. You know, Mm -hmm. there's going to have to be a a lot more patience and help and, and nuance to it. Um, What you said a second ago made me think of a question that I think, and the answer can help me in especially abuse ministry. You said, you know, as we're, as you meet with other, uh, other counselors and people involved in ministry to be able to, to be real and transparent about the challenges and yet to help each other not become cynical um, I wonder how you guard against losing compassion for the abuser mm. in the sense, and that might be a, not the right way to say it, no, but, right. uh, you know, n- to be able to still see opportunity uh, to minister and the hope for change that sometimes yeah. can be very slim right. in appearance yeah. mm-hmm. without losing just, it. Yeah. I was just working with a church yesterday and they have this oppressor in this in their midst who now that they're dealing with the marriage the oppressor's kind of turned against the session and now the session sees it right and so again their temptation is all right now we have to call him out and i was like yeah but we have to call him out in a way that demonstrates to him that we love him mm. um and right and so we don't know who two things i think about is we don't know who god's going to change Um, And so every time I encounter an oppressive marriage, I have to think maybe this is the spouse that God will redeem. And I work earnestly in that direction. The other thing is just to recognize how much spiritual danger they're actually in, right? They're so blind to their sin um, and so self-righteous. They really don't see a need for Jesus. Mm. And if I can remember how needy they really are, Mm. um, right, I don't just want to um, tell them where they're sinning. I also want to give them robes of righteousness at the same Mm -hmm. time. Right. So that, right. If you had to repent of so much heinous treatment, it would almost be impossible to own all that unless you truly knew your position with Christ. So Mm -hmm. yeah, it's having that balance. And then, you know, on a non-spiritual temptation, Chris Mole says this a lot. You don't, you don't want to 
power over someone who uses power. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And so you want to demonstrate, you know, on, you know, serving them as well and what love looks like. Hmm. I wonder, as you say that, it makes me, it makes me think about how the, that, that kind of ministry requires what is very similar to a, a kind of parental love or mm-hmm. mothering of someone, mm-hmm. because that's the kind of, that's the kind of love that mothers show to their children, especially in hard things to preserve the desire and the hope for change. And, uh, if we, you know, lose sight of that and I become a purely, you know, purely adversarial, then I, I lose that sense of hope. I lose that sense of ministry to the person or wanting to, uh, confront them or help them in ways that magnify a kind of love for them and a desire for, for change. And so, how has your role as a mother informed your counseling and ministry to people involved in abuse, whether um, abusers or being abused? Yeah. And how, I wonder, has that influenced your mothering? Yeah, I think just patience, patience, mm. patience, patience, right? Often, um, you know, a lot of parenting is repeating the same truths. And I don't want to be a parent who's shaming. So I I do tend to have more of a nurturing teaching mm. mode. Um, and I probably counsel the same way. Um, I want to, I want to highlight what's going well um, and, and build on what the Lord is doing instead of drawing attention to deficiencies. Um Homeschooling, as you certainly know, it just requires so much patience, right? Mm. It's really inconvenient. It would be a lot easier to cook dinner and not teach someone how to solve a math problem, <laughs> right? So, right. Um, and so parenting is just, if I look at it as these beautiful interruptions, abuse ministry is the same way. They're just, there's these opportunities to relate, to get to know, um, to bring the gospel to in, in really inconvenient moments, right? Crises never occur at, in good times, um, inconvenient moments. So I think those two things is the Lord has just taught me to be more patient um, in both arenas. Yeah. And as, yeah, like children, right? I can, I can do everything. I can show them everything, um, but it's ultimately up to what, how God is. Hmm. Right, how he's going yeah. to ultimately shape them. Yeah, so it takes. I think there's a similarity there as well. Sure. Yeah, yeah. sounds similar to uh, the way a farmer has to plant seeds and yet can't control the rain. Just right? waiting, praying, waiting for rain to fall, and that's the way a lot of ministry is. Or you know, at home, uh, or out in the counseling room, or in an abusive family. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we're really dependent on rain to fall. At the right time. At the and right not time. too much, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. As we've been spending time with Darby Strickland, I want you to know about two more resources. First, the mini book, When Children Experience Trauma, What to Do When Something Scary Happens. When our children experience a traumatic event, we can feel powerless to help. But Darby Strickland wants parents to know that they are just the right people to help their children, pointing the way toward hope and healing. 
The second resource to know about is Something Scary Happened by Darby Strickland. Something Scary Happened helps children process their feelings after experiencing a trauma and provides comfort through the story of a little lamb named Miles. Miles is a happy little lamb until something bad happens. All of a sudden, Miles feels like he's alone in a deep, dark valley. But it's there in the valley that he meets his good shepherd who promises to always be with him, no matter what. Darby Strickland uses the story of Miles to help parents and caregivers share the comfort of taking their fears to the good shepherd by applying Psalm 23 to difficult experiences. Through a special section at the end of the book, Strickland helps parents recognize the feelings and behaviors children might have in response to their trauma and guides them in how to help children talk about what scared them. This is the first book in the Comfort for Children in Hard Times series, addressing difficult experiences that children commonly face and offering gospel hope and help. Children ages four to seven will be drawn to the playful illustrations by Carlotta Nataro. You can learn more about both of these books at newgrowthpress.com. Well, we've been talking a lot about difficult questions, you know, challenging uh, questions of challenging ministry. Here, here, here's a lighter question, I think. So you're doing so many things, homeschool mom, counseling, speaking, writing, other ministry opportunities, having a life, being a human being, you know, with a life to live. How is all of that happening? It's a great question. I'm still trying to figure that out most, um, <laughs> yeah. most weeks and months. Um, I think it is really wonderful having people in my home that I enjoy, that I want to spend time with, um, that helps me get out into the world. Um, but I do have to have to really be mindful of my schedule. So I'm always telling my husband, we need to schedule something fun, right? Um, mm. And have to really guard um, that downtime in a sense. And that's that's been difficult in certain seasons because deadlines and trips or whatever. But when I am not um, mindful that I'm a human being who's limited, who also needs to rest um, and be restored and enjoy the life that God's given me. Things get out of whack. Um, and so, yeah, I'm constantly tweaking my calendar, as they say. Yeah. Do you have any hacks or habits that are really maybe just one that has been instrumental in managing just the busyness of family life or the busyness of counseling life? Um, yeah, I think one that's been really helpful to me is just not responding to emails in the morning. You know, I get my inbox becomes yeah. so full. Um, but if I do what I need to do for my family and deadlines and work, if I do those other things in the afternoon, that has really helped me be productive and not be sidetracked. Another thing I've done in the last year, I had to develop a new class for CCF. I had to write 50 lectures. Whoa. And it was just this really intense season. Daunting. Yeah. Daunting on things I did not, you know, I really had to lean in and do some research on is I set a timer. I was like, okay, Darby, you can concentrate for 45 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. And just put all the distractions and things aside 
And you can get a lot of really solid work done in a concentrated window. Um, and then take a break and then come back and set a timer. You know, otherwise, when you hit a hard moment or I'm like, oh, I don't know what scripture I'd use for that, I'd be tempted to, you know, pick up my phone or go change the laundry. But that timer has really helped me in this last season. That timer has really helped me too. I think it's actually called the Pomodoro Method. Have you heard that? No. So the Pomodoro Method was invented, I think, by um, a guy maybe in Italy. And the Italian word for tomato is Pomodoro. Yeah. And he had a little kitchen timer that was shaped like a tomato. Okay. And he would set the timer. Now, he would set the timer for 25 minutes. And you work focused on nothing except the task at hand for the solid 25 minutes. And then once it goes off, you set the timer for five minutes and you have a completely idle break. You can sit and stare at the wall. You do nothing. Uh, oh. You And then there is some, I guess, you know, science or uh, whatever to it, that that break is actually helping you to retain energy through the day to be able yep. to 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 do more things and when you do i think four of those blocks of 25 minutes then you take a 10 or 15 minute break uh at that at that point and that's been really helpful to me that's probably i mean if i have one thing that i do every day i i use that timer just like you do sometimes i do yeah. it longer like you said you know maybe 45 or 50 minutes cuz i feel like i can go a longer stretch but yeah. the rule is if you're doing the 25 minutes and uh, a focused work and then yeah. you get distracted you have to reset the timer ah. so that's a little bit more of the you know the method or the challenge and it's pretty simple but it really makes a huge difference and so yeah, it's, it's really, really helped me yeah yeah it's really yeah. helpful really helpful i'll have to get my great aunt's tomato kitchen timer out for my desk yeah 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 <laughs> Yeah, so so Darby, tell me more about the uh, a new resource that's coming out that you've been a part of with Chris Moles, um, all about helping in this context of ministry of abuse. Yeah, I really have. Um, it was a pleasure to be part of that project, um, caring for families caught in domestic abuse because many different voices or roles in abuse care. We all got together and wrote a resource that explains community care. Um, for a couple. So it addresses what an oppressor needs, what uh, victims need, how to use an advocate. So it's really a robust how to think about church discipline um, in these cases. And so it has all these wonderful vantage points of different voices who have different, would be ministering to different aspects of the problem coming together. And this is how we would work together in a church situation to care for that. And I got to write um, a chapter on caring for children because I often find that they are overlooked in these situations. So much time and attention goes to um, the parents um, and it's a robust ministry in and of itself. But my heart is just really led for the littlest victims in that. And, and as I was writing that chapter, I recognized there's really very few children's resources on trauma. Um, and so mm. out of that, I just birthed this idea of writing this children's book, Something Scary Happened, mm. to give parents a tool to talk about, yeah, how, how do we lean into the Lord and what does trauma look like through a child? So that was an exciting project to be a part of. And then it was fun because it birthed this other idea. Yeah. It's just been a delight to do something light 
and beautiful um, and redemptive. Yeah. Yeah, so important to be able to provide. Those are two uh, vastly different resources uh, that are uh, available and useful. And um, it's just a, a beautiful thing to have the same kinds of truths being delivered to uh, different, entirely different groups of people that need them so that they could be uh, could be utilized. Well, thank you so much for yeah, spending this time today. I really have enjoyed hanging pleasure. out and learning and growing and hearing about your your ministry and family it's just great it's fun thank you it's good you've been listening to straight to the heart a podcast from new growth press our next episode releases next week and i look forward to seeing you there